You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What a win! The Rockets down by 21 points in the middle of the second half on night two of a split back-to-back on a night in which the Miami Heat seemingly made everything, shot better than 50% from three. Yes, the Rockets have their defensive issues. We'll get to that. I'm sure they'll be more aware of that than anyone, but it's tough to shoot that well against air. And despite having every reason to mail it in, P.J. Tucker ejected after just 22 minutes, midway through the third quarter, on an absolutely ridiculous blown call and the Tony Brothers-led crew somehow being surprised that Tucker was upset about it despite all of those headwinds led by 58 points from reigning league MVP and should-be current frontrunner James Harden for a second consecutive award. The Rockets overcame all of it, winning their fourth consecutive game on Thursday night at Toyota Center by a final of 121-118 to over the Miami Heat. The win improves the Rockets to 37-25, and which at 12 games over 500 is their high watermark for the season. The Heat, they fall to 27-34, and 34, but a night after they beat the Golden State Warriors of all teams, it's a reminder that they're capable, especially when they're hot, as they were tonight, of competing with anyone. Fortunately, the Rockets, led by one James Harden, 58 points on 50% shooting, had all the answers when it mattered. With that, welcome back to another postgame episode of Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily podcast commentary on all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat this Thursday night, over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we are going to be talking about everything that happened Thursday. We're also going to be breaking down a little bit of Wednesday's game, the 118-113 to victory the Rockets had over the Hornets in Charlotte. It was a back-to-back. We did not do a recap of that one because it was the front end, and it would have had limited shelf life. I meant to spend kind of equal time on both ends, but this was one of the more memorable games of the season, considering the circumstances. So we'll get to it in segment three. We'll also talk about the Rockets' role players, which really in both games stepped up, I thought. And we'll talk about that in segment two of our usual three points recap. But here off the top in segment one, it is all about the MVP, James Harden. No, he wasn't alone tonight. Austin Rivers off the bench, 17 points on 7 of 8 shooting. What a great sign to see him get going. Gary Clark, after barely having played in a month, started, played 32 minutes, 14 points, 5 rebounds, better than 50% shooting, made 3 three-pointers, and was a plus 5. Kudos to a rookie for even not having major minutes. Being able to step up like that is pretty rare. It shows a lot of poise. Chris Paul, after carrying so much of the load of late, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists, just 4 of 12 shooting, night 2 of a split back-to-back with a plane flight in between. It's a scenario where the Rockets, I don't think, planned on using Chris Paul in an ideal world, but with three regulars out injured, Eric Gordon, Iman Shumpert, Kenneth Freed, and in the case of Gordon, one of your only guards, there's no way the Rockets could have made it through a combined 240 minutes in this game without getting a 34 from Chris Paul. So even if, after the workload he's had to take on of late, he was a little fatigued. Fortunately, 
first off, he gave the Rockets minutes they needed, and then combine it with the better performances from the role players, and most of all, James Harden, 58 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, just 4 turnovers, also had 4 steals and a block, he delivered defensively, 50% from the field, 8 of 18, nearly 50% on threes, and 18 of 18 from the line. Simply stupendous, and perhaps what was most ridiculous of all, the Heat somehow, after missing a shot, the Rockets and Harden got the rebound with about five seconds left in the game, and the Heat chose to let him dribble off the clock, and what to me seemed pretty obvious, they did not want to send him the line to get 60 again. It would not have been a career high, because he got 61 against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden last month, but nonetheless, 60 would have been Nice to see. The Heat didn't want to give that up, but just as when Harden's 30-point streak was snapped on Monday with 28 against the Hawks, I think he's perfectly fine having 58 and the win, especially when it comes with 10 assists. Yes, he got his teammates involved, and this victory came with P.J. Tucker leaving early with the Rockets down 21 points midway through the second half. So many extenuating circumstances, but no excuses. James Harden put his team on his back, played 44 minutes on night two of a split back-to-back. This is a guy who has been in bed for at least a portion of the past week, coming off the neck injury and the flu. It's not just a split back-to-back, it's third game in four nights. For him to step up, it's just a reminder of how special he is. Because really, since the All-Star break, it's been Chris Paul leading the way. And we talked about how that's not really the formula over the grind of an 82-game season, but it's just nice to see it, because especially against teams like the Warriors after that win last Saturday, then you know down the road against elite defenses in the playoffs, you're going to need that version of Chris Paul to give James Harden some help. But over 82 games, if the Rockets are going to get where they want to go in terms of climbing up the West standings, and by the way, the Rockets now at 37-25, and 25, they're only a game and a half back of the Oklahoma City Thunder now in the Western Conference standings for the number three seed. So they have some options as far as moving up the standings, although it's not as clear if it's beneficial to move up, because as I'm recording this at about 9.30 on Thursday night, the Warriors are actually, after losing tonight in Orlando, now the two seed at the moment, a half game behind the Denver Nuggets. So at this time, you might be more better off in the 4-5 line than you would be if you were in the 3-6 if the 4-5 would get you to play a top-seeded Denver in the second round, a team that with Clint Capella, who had 23-17 and last night in Charlotte, let's not forget about that, the Rockets, they're not at all cylinders by any means, but they're trying to grind out these wins as best they can. It takes a team, but the story tonight... Well, let's finish off the prior thought. There might be some scenarios where you'd rather be on the 4-5 line, which the Rockets are now. They've been ticketed for that 4-5 matchup with Portland for a couple of weeks now, it feels like. And as the standings, if the season were to end today, that would have you playing Denver in the second round with Capella. You've matched up well with them. So I think that's where you'd like to be. However, considering there are 20 games left, there's a ton of time for all of this to change. We still have a month and a half of basketball left. There's going to be lots of twists and turns. That's the one word of caution I would throw out to you about standings watching. At this point, just try and win all the games. And the benefit, if you do that, then as you go down the home stretch of the season, the last six or seven games, you might be able to sort of pick your matchup in terms of, of course, resting players or going full throttle, whatever it may be. Do you want to get up to the three seed? Do you want to be on the 4-5 line, even fall back to the 6 in certain circumstances. We'll see how it plays out. And the best thing you can do, win games, and then hopefully by the final 5 or 6 games of the year, you have more clarity at the top of the picture, then you can see what you think your best advantages are in terms of playoff matchups. Anyway, that's a long way away. Getting back to tonight, the reason it's 
so amazing to see Harden do this. It's the reigning MVP. He should win it again. And after a stretch in which his first three games had the All-Star break, didn't play in Golden State, combining the first two games and then Wednesday night in Charlotte, he was 3 of 31 from 3, which was below 10%, then 8 of 18, nearly 50%. Boy, did he snap out of that in a hurry. But if there's one thing... There was no reason to ever doubt James Harden after what he has done for you over the first 60-plus games of this season. The only question there would be is about if there are lingering effects from the neck injury, the flu, the shoulder when he ran into Steven Adams a couple of weeks ago. I don't believe there are, and I've said in the past, because the Rockets were willing to put him out there. This is their franchise player. They know at this point they're not going to be able to get the advantage seed they want in the playoffs. So to some degree, it's not like you're going to be able to get up to the one seed. To some extent, the damage has already been done, and so the best thing you can do is optimize your rotation, your health for the playoffs, because at some point you're probably not going to have home court. You're just going to have to go out and win some tough games on the road. And I don't believe the Rockets would put their best player out in harm's way if there was something medically wrong with him. Now, it's one thing of just night two of a back-to-back, but if there's something that he could actually make worse, I don't think they'd have him out there. But to see him play this well on night two of a split back-to-back and a third and four-night stretch, it should tell you that whatever's going on with his neck, his shoulder, yes, there are nicks and bumps, but you know what? Over an 82-game grind of an NBA season, this is a very physical sport, plus practices, which is what the neck injury happened in a week ago in Los Angeles, Quite frankly, these types of injuries happen to every player. We just notice and talk about it a lot more with James Harden because he is so damn good. And even a little bit of slippage, of course, is particularly relevant to the Rockets as a team because they are so dependent on him. But as far as where the Rockets are trying to go, I would say this was perhaps Harden's finest performance of the year. But it comes at the best time because, really, if there's been the slightest nag at the pit of a lot of Rockets fans' stomach over the past week, at least the first three wins of this current four-game winning streak, it's been that Harden has either not played, in the case of the win at Golden State, or in the two since, the first two, Atlanta and Charlotte this week, he has clearly not been at 100%. And while the team tells you that he's going to be fine, at the same time, sometimes, especially in a season where so many guys have missed so much time, you need to see it for yourself. And to see him go out there 44 minutes, night two of her back-to-back, 58 points, 10 assists, 50% shooting, nearly 50% from three. Against a Miami Heat team with a lot of fairly rangy, long defenders, it's not like it's all that easy to get to the rim, although they did not have Hassan Whiteside in this game. So to see Harden step up and make, especially the threes, which has been really the one downturn in his performance since the neck and the shoulder. We talked on Wednesday's show with Ali Bajani about his mechanics. It's great that he delivered the way he did when the Rockets were losing, but also to do it after a week that's been so turbulent for him personally, it's just a reminder of how special he is. And even though this past week has been about Chris Paul, this season has been about James Harden. And to me, that's what this game reminded you of, this incredible comeback from a 21-point deficit. And what I really liked about this, beyond just James showing he was healthy, I love the emotions. When P.J. Tucker got tossed, just a ridiculous sequence, I mentioned it earlier, There was a three that Gerald Green hit in the middle of the third quarter. It would have brought the Rockets within four just a few minutes after they were down 21. It would have been, I believe, a 21-4 to run wiped out on an absurd 
quote-unquote moving screen from P.J. Tucker where Goran Dragic, the moment of the whistle, uh, basically grabbed his head to try and get out to the corner to contest on Green because the Heat had blown an assignment with their transition defense. Tucker was called for the foul. It wiped away the Green 3. And then he was called for two technicals and thrown out one of the quickest hooks you'll ever see. How dare he be upset about it? What a profession NBA officiating is. From that standpoint, you can make the mistake and then somehow be angry at people for being upset with you for making the mistake. Whatever, I won't go down that road because I could talk about that for hours. The point is, that was a five-point swing. It would have been a Rockets four-point deficit. Instead, it was nine. And it's the kind of game where you're down 21. Oftentimes, you see teams, everybody in the NBA makes runs. But many times, these runs get stopped midway through because when you cut it, say, from 21 to 4, then when you expend so much energy to do that, even just a slight push from the opposing team, in that case, that swing with the officiating pushed it to 9, then the Heat scored in the next possession, pushed it to 11, and it just feels like we've spent so much energy to cut it, and really it's still a double-digit lead. Well, you could tell that with some of the officiating, the boos for the Tony Brothers crew were pretty loud and deservedly so at Toyota Center, losing P.J. Tucker early, also just rallying from that enormous deficit, you could tell that James Harden embraced the challenge of it. And that's one thing that, at 29 years old, if there's one thing that I've liked from Harden even more as we've gotten through his career in Houston, it's been his competitive fire. Not that there was ever a reason to doubt it, but early in his career, he was a bit standoffish in terms of his on-court demeanor, his emotions. This one, between the spirit of the comeback some of the controversies, you could tell that he fed off of that. There were moments in the fourth quarter when he was pumping up the crowd. He was as engaged as I have ever seen him in a regular season game in terms of his emotions. And I think that's good to see because while it may not matter to James Harden exactly how he looks on the court, that is the kind of stuff that certainly can fire up the crowd, but more importantly, his teammates can feed off of that. And I think that's what helps younger guys like a Gary Clark to keep going and keep fighting because they really had no choice but to trust him with P.J. Tucker getting ejected early, and then Austin Rivers having quite a bounce-back performance. Younger guys like that, now Rivers has had more experience than you might think, but the point is, when you have the MVP of the league on your team, he sets the tone, and James Harden, I think to some degree, some of the people psychoanalyzing him have always been a bit unfair, but you can wonder how that affects everyone else on the court. Well, tonight, I thought the crowd, and more importantly, the Rockets players, during that comeback, their defense, there was nearly a four-minute stretch in the fourth quarter where Houston held Miami scoreless. This Miami team has scored 118 points in the game, 69 in the first half, the second consecutive game in which Houston's opponents scored 69 first-half points after Charlotte on Wednesday. Very not nice, and there are some things the Rockets need to do defensively to get that cleaned up, obviously. But to be able to go from that unit to shutting out an opponent for nearly four minutes, that takes a hell of a lot of effort, because not all of Houston's issues are fixable. Some of them are clearly, when you have a bottom five defense, related to talent. And especially when you lose P.J. Tucker, who's supposed to be your best defender. But to somehow summon the strength in the fourth quarter to get the crowd that engaged, I'm sure that rattled Miami some. And then to have the young players playing and fighting that damn hard, beyond just James Harden scoring 58 points, I thought the way he led his team in this game, yeah, it's nice with the ball in the basket. You also have 10 assists which gets your teammates going. That's fabulous. He's doing unprecedented things as a scorer, just simply incredible. The all-time record for an opponent against the Miami Heat. He's ridiculous. He's the MVP. It would be a travesty if he doesn't do it again. But on top of all the things he does individually, I thought this was a game in which James Harden's leadership shined. 
And for all that's been made about the big leads the Rockets have blown at times this year to overcome a 21-point deficit in the second half, this felt like getting one of those back. So in a season in which so many things have gone wrong, to have the MVP even on a night where it would have been very easy to just say, you know what, this just isn't our game. To some degree, it hasn't been our year. He didn't let it happen. So beyond everything that James Harden gives you statistically, the 58, 10, and 7, 50% shooting, 44 minutes, night two of a road back-to-back, he's insane, he's ridiculous. And then when he brings you on the mental side of the floor as well, or the game, I should say, just remarkable. What an incredible player that somehow continues to get better with each passing month, it feels like. So as the Rockets head into March, are they in championship contending form? I don't know about that. Their defense needs to be better. But as far as step one, that's getting the version of James Harden that we've had really the last two seasons, the MVP a year ago, and what should be the clear front runner this year. If there was any doubt about that, there's not after tonight. 58, 10, and 7. Rockets win 121-118. Their fourth consecutive win. And it improves them to 37-25 and 25 on the year. Just a game and a half back of the Oklahoma City Thunder after everything they've been through for a top three seed in the Western Conference. It wasn't always pretty, but in the end, what a great night for the Houston Rockets. Now, jumping back into the program, I know we went a little bit long on that first segment, and I think there was some reason for that with how ridiculous James Harden was in this game. But I don't want to forget the supporting cast. Gary Clark, 14 points, 5 rebounds, started and played 32 minutes in the absence of both Kenneth Fareed and Eric Gordon. The Rockets went back to the Gordon lineup on Wednesday in Charlotte. We don't know what they would have done on Thursday in Miami in terms of going back to what we saw against the Hawks. Fareed and Capella up front, traditional, or going to their Eric Gordon at the three, P.J. Tucker at the four, the small ball Rockets we've come to expect, especially over the past year plus under Mike D'Antoni. So we don't know what would have happened if everyone was healthy, but the point is, they weren't healthy. Eric Gordon, he's had ongoing knee issues since January. The Rockets say that structurally his knee is fine, but clearly it's probably going to take until the offseason for him to truly let that 100% heal up. It's an issue of pain tolerance. So on night two of a split back-to-back, even though they were at home, there's a plane flight in between, so it may as well be a road back-to-back because you're playing two games with a plane flight in 24 hours. There's no reason to press a veteran, Eric now 30 years old, with an existing injury. Kenneth Free took some contact to his hip last night. I'm not too worried about that. Iman Shumpert, it's a sore calf. I'm a little worried about Shumpert's knee from the way they described that. And by the way, some of the Rockets' defensive issues... Well, you traded a first-round pick to get him on Shumpert, a 3-and-D guy at the deadline, and because of injuries and when he has played, a very limited sample hasn't shot well enough to really stay on the floor, he hasn't been the defensive upgrade that he should be. There are reasons to believe that with sample size and health that he could eventually help this team. Right now, he's not. But in this game, getting back to Thursday against Miami, look, the Rockets were without Gordon, Freed, and Iman Shumpert. And I'm not really that worried about any of them. Again, I think a lot of them... Night two of a split back-to-back for veterans that are 28, 29 years old or older. It's out of time you're going to force issues, especially because the schedule is going to get a lot more difficult for Houston next week. They're in Boston on Sunday, then they're at Toronto, then they're home for Philly next Friday. So, yeah, you're going to need as much of a full sporting cast as possible next week. And this one, night two of a split back-to-back, you're just trying to somehow find your way through it. But that's when you need guys like Gary Clark 
to step up. And as far as why he started after barely playing at all over the past month, initially Mike D'Antoni said that he was going to start Gerald Green in Eric Gordon's place or the place of either Gordon or Fareed. But Green's been so quality of late. He had scored double figures in five of his last six games. Unfortunately, he did not get into double figures tonight. Had just six points on two of nine shooting. But with your regulars, because Green's been a rotation player, and he did play 34 minutes. I thought his defense was actually solid off the bench. His energy was useful. You don't want to yank them out of their roles if you can avoid it. So Gary Clark, a guy who hasn't been playing much, whether he starts or comes off the bench, quite frankly, it's the same damn thing. It's going to be new to him. So as opposed to starting Gerald Green, which is new for him, and bringing Gary Clark off the bench and playing real minutes, and you have two players in new roles, at least this way you have only one player in a new role. That's Gary Clark starting at the three or four, however you want to define it, Clark, Tucker, and Capella up front, and then Green in his usual role off the bench. So that's why I think Clark actually got the start. I know it sounds a bit convoluted considering he hasn't played much and you could have started Green or Rivers, gone a little bit smaller and at least kept guys that have been in new rotation for the past month. But I think Mike D'Antoni did not want to disrupt roles as much as he could avoid that. So Gary Clark, he started. It's certainly a bit unorthodox, but kudos to him for responding. 14 points, 5 of 9 shooting, made three three three-pointers, and 32 minutes. This wasn't just a courtesy start in which, well, he plays to start the first and third quarters, but he only ends up playing 15, 16 minutes because Gerald Green, Austin Rivers, they sop up all the minutes off the bench. Well, it wasn't going to be possible regardless because of all the injuries. We mentioned Shumpert, Gordon, and Fareed all out. I'm not too worried about any of them at the moment. Again, I think it's more maintenance. If they miss Sunday in Boston, I might have a different opinion, but at this point, I'm expecting at least Gordon and Fareed to be back We'll see with Shumper because there's been less specifics discussed with his calf injury, and in part because, well, he's just so new to the team, his importance, at least to this point, is not at the levels of Eric Gordon or Kenneth Freed. But boy, a rookie like Gary Clark, who has been struggling, especially from an offensive perspective the last couple of months, to play this well, salute to that guy. What a response. It shows you what he's made of. It shows you why Chris Paul speaks so highly of him. He's known him for a while. To step up after all the injuries, and then having P.J. Tucker play just 22 minutes, five fouls, so he was in foul trouble in the first half, and then getting ejected on that ridiculous Tony Brothers sequence in the second half. Even if you want to give him one technical, you'd have to give him two. I know there are some purists that will say, well, if you charge a ref and you object, okay, fine, give him one technical, don't give him two. But the point is, regardless of whether it's deserved or not, that's the reality. You were out three players, and then you lost P.J. Tucker. So you had to turn to Gary Clark. Boy, did he deliver. His defense was solid. He was plus five, which was the third best in the Rockets' starting lineup, only behind Capella, who was plus eight, had 11 boards, and James Harden, who had 58 and was plus 10. And he made enough threes, three of them, especially early on, that it made the heat uncomfortable sagging off of him, which is what made it even easier for James Harden to get his driving lanes. So salute to Gary Clark for stepping up. And then we also don't want to forget, I mentioned earlier, Austin Rivers, 17 big points off the bench, 7 of 8 shooting, 3 of 4 from 3. It's easy to forget how well he played his first couple of weeks with the Rockets back in late December, early January. The Golden State game, Oklahoma City, Boston. He hit so many big shots in those wins. And then he had issues with first a finger on his shooting hand, then his elbow. His 3-point stroke on the year is at 32%. That's a far cry from 38% a year ago. But it's a small sample, and a year ago, this was a 38% shooter. If he gets boy going, boy, is he playable. Got my words mixed up there. But 
the point is, we've seen, especially against, say, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, some of these games against upper echelon guards, at times Kimball Walker on Wednesday night, the Rockets trust Austin Rivers as well as anyone as an on-ball defender. Now, it doesn't make him a great overall defender. Away from the ball, he occasionally gets beaten, and he has a role in the Rockets' poor defense. I understand that. But in terms of matchups, especially in the playoffs, Chris Paul is 33 years old. He hasn't moved laterally that well anymore. James Harden is predominantly a post defender. Eric Gordon is serviceable, but he's also not that quick laterally. And now he's 30 years old, and, and he has a backed up, uh, banged up knee. P.J. Tucker is 33, and he's primarily a four. He's six foot six. These are not guys you can trust to play major minutes throughout a game on Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, these quick, twitchy guards. You can throw Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum in there, the guys that are currently slotted to be your opponents in a 4-5 matchup in the Western Conference playoffs. Austin Rivers can play a very unique role for this team defensively with his on-ball defense. The only question is, can he shoot enough to be viable? And to this point, it's been mixed to start his first couple of weeks in Houston, he has. Of late, it's been kind of hit or miss, but this past week, since he got some time off for the All-Star break, there's been a resurgence. And then tonight, 7 of 8, 3 of 4, he was fabulous off the triple. He had three threes. It was as much as you could reasonably ask for. Now, I don't think that he can do that every game, of course, shooting nearly 90%. I mean, that's just ridiculous, and 75% from three. But the point is, if he is even serviceable from the field, and especially from three, he doesn't have to be that guy. But as long as he's not just in the 30% range, then he can still be a really important role player for this team because defensively, his gifts are very unique. There are not a lot of other players that can do what he can do. We talk about that a lot with Clint Capella, who had 23-17 in Wednesday's win over Charlotte. The Rockets had to grind. They were down double digits in the second half of that one as well. But his defense, and especially his rebounding, his interior presence, his ability to get easy buckets, we saw when Capella went out, there are not a lot of other guys that can do what he does, and that's what makes him so indispensable. It's that same vein, not quite as important as Capella, I'm not going to get carried away, but you can say many of the same things about Austin Rivers. Capella was the story on Wednesday, his rebounding, the putbacks, the easy points, or what got the Rockets win, even when Harden and Gordon shot a combined just one of 16 from three, and you needed a steadiness from Capella to kind of grind that win. Well, in this one, you needed Austin Rivers, his on-ball defense. I thought after a Miami Heat team, Josh Richardson had 18, Justice Winslow had 19, Goran Dragic off the bench had 21 and was seemingly throwing in everything. You needed some of those guards to get cooled off. I mentioned the stretch in the fourth quarter that they held Miami scoreless. That was with Austin Rivers on the floor. That's how valuable his defense is. The question is, can he shoot well enough offensively to not be a liability on that end? Tonight, not only was he not a liability, he scored freaking 17 points on nearly 90% shooting and 75% from three. What a night from Austin Rivers. What a encouraging sign to see, again, I'm not going to put him in the same class as Clint Capella, but I will say it's a similar dynamic in terms of there's not many other guys that can do what he does, especially if P.J. Tucker is out. You might can call on P.J. Tucker at a pinch to guard one of these quick, twitchy guard types, but if he's ejected, then, yeah, you really don't have that option. And so to see Austin Rivers give you that level of defense, play 31 minutes, not tail off on that end, and be healthy enough, feeling good enough about his fingers, his elbow, whatever's been ailing him on his right shooting arm, 
to put the ball in the bucket as much as he did, 17 points. That's a really encouraging sign. I don't know if it's as encouraging as James Harden's 58, because nothing is, but in a game where the Rockets needed everything to overcome a 21-point deficit and Tony Brothers, yes, I'm going there. Guys like Gary Clark and Austin Rivers, yeah, they need to be uh, receiving a lot of praise. They shouldn't be forgotten just because Harden scored 58. That was the lead story. That was not the only story. The Rockets role players, they finally chipped in and held up their end of the bargain as well. Final thoughts as we close out Thursday evening show, the recap of the 121-118 win. The Rockets headed home on Thursday over the Heat and a bit of a hybrid also talking about the 118-113 win the Rockets had over the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday night on the road. And you combine the two, yeah, you get two wins, split back-to-back, both over playoff contending teams. The Rockets won four overall, the 37-25, and which is a season-best 12 games over 500. There's a lot of positives. And yet, these games could have easily gone the other way. And the common theme in both of them was the poor defense. In terms of the offensive heroes, it shifted from night to night. Chris Paul was much better on the front end in Charlotte. Maybe that's when he was feeling a bit more fresh at 17 and 10. Shot well from the field. I mentioned tonight, 14, 6, and 4, but shot just 4 of 12. Harden on the front end, he couldn't buy a 3. Tonight he was 8 of 18, ended up with 58. So on offense, one night CP3 may have it going. Another night it may be James. But the common theme, the reason both these games are too close for comfort, the Rockets gave up too many points, 113 to the Hornets, 118 to the Heat, gave up 69 in the first half of each game, and that's what's particularly alarming, because when you struggle that much in the first half, it makes it seem like you're just not really ready from the jump. Who knows, there could be some fatigue components to it. This is a three-game and four-night stretch, and with tonight's game in particular, there were a lot of injury absences, guys in new roles, etc., etc. Even the, the current guys, Clint Capella, he's just making his way back. He said after Monday's game against the Hawks, he felt just 55-60%. He's still rounding into form, perhaps the 23-17 and 17 in the win over Charlotte. will get him going. I'm not really trying to be too negative because you win the games. At the end of the day, that's the most important thing. It's much easier to work on your flaws when you win, and the Rockets were able to do that. But to get to where they want to go, they need to fix this defense. I don't think it's reasonable to get to, say, a top five level, which they were borderline a year ago from the bottom five that they are now. But for the offense, which can be historically brilliant, to even have a chance at winning a title, you need to take your defense from the bottom five level that it is now, or it's been close to that throughout the season, and at least get it to a mediocre level. And as far as what happened... Some of it is effort issues that they can control, but other parts are personnel. And I see a couple of issues that initially stand out. First, rebounding. In the Miami game, the Rockets actually out-rebounded Miami 36-34 with the points in the paint. It was just, especially in the early going, a layup line for Miami outside of Clint Capella. There's no rim protection. There's no real shot-blocking presence. So, without Kenneth Fareed, there are questions as to how viable a Fareed-Capella lineup can be on the offensive side of the floor. Is Fareed's three-point shooting legitimate? We've talked about that a lot over the past few days. But defensively, the Rockets have been a bottom-five rebounding team that's been the biggest part of their substandard defense all season long. And now Fareed's out. I don't expect it to be a long-term absence, but I do think it shows you how important he is because he gets you a lot of those loose balls, a lot of the hustle points, and... The Rockets, they just don't have the perimeter stoppers that they did a year ago. That's why we talk about Austin Rivers being so indispensable. There aren't other guys who can really check on the perimeter, especially in the game where P.J. Tucker gets 
uh, ejected early, and even before he got ejected, I thought P.J. Tucker was showing some mileage night two in a row back-to-back. I didn't think he was anywhere near as springy as he was on the front end in Charlotte. He's had to expend a lot of energy of late, I think probably reflected in the uptick in his three-point shooting we've seen. But the point is, as far as the defense is concerned, fixing the rebounding is the easiest thing to do. Well, without Kenneth Fareed, there's just not a whole heck of a lot that you can do. Terrence Jones is the guy who's on a 10-day contract. Nene is 36 years old. He played just seven minutes tonight. So you need to get Fareed back. And I think even though I don't have any long-term concern over his injury, I think even though he's not a plus defensive player, he is a plus rebounder. He is a plus weak side shot blocker. And I thought, especially combined with P.J. Tucker's absence, that you could feel his impact tonight in not being out there. The other guy, and I know Rockets fans... There's been a lot of turning on Iman Shumpert, and to some degree, unfairly so, I think, based on how quickly and how limited the sample is. Is a guy who's played in, what, four or five games since coming to Houston at the trade deadline. He's missed time with a knee injury, which sounded a little bit alarming because it was a mileage thing, and he's had issues with it in the past. And now a calf injury, which is not the same thing as the knee, but the point is he hasn't played much. He's had injury issues, and when he has played... He has not really shot that well from three, just 26% as a Rocket in his five games. And between the injuries and not shooting well from three, he's only played 18 minutes per game. Well, this is the 3 and D wing that Gerald Morey targeted. And no, it wasn't just about cutting costs. They wanted him July 1st of 2017 with a totally different owner for the same reason. They have identified Iman Shumpert for a long time as a guy that could help them. And they gave up this year's first-round pick one of their best assets, they don't have a lot of them, but in terms of trades down the line, to bring him here. He was playing well in Sacramento, nearly 30 minutes per game, shooting nearly 37% from three. To this point, he hasn't in Houston, and now he's out hurt. I think a lot of it is a small sample size, but in terms of the defense, yeah, this was your guy that was supposed to do what James Ennis could not. This was why you brought him in. He was supposed to be. We talk about how the Rockets with three, they can be a better defensive rebounding team. They've got Rivers, as far as an on-ball defender for guards, but as far as wings go, they don't really have the Ariza, Bamute length types like they did a year ago. That's where Iman Shumpert is supposed to come into play. Right now, he's not bringing you that. So without him, there's not a lot in the way of consistent wing defense, especially on a night that P.J. Tucker gets ejected and you have Fareed, Gordon also out. That kind of exaggerates a lot of trends and you're on a split back-to-back, night three and four, all that kind of stuff. So some of it, yeah, the Rockets, they can have better effort, and if the games aren't as in close proximity, then some of these issues, they're exaggerated based on the circumstances of the schedule right now. But big picture, yeah, they need to get their defense better, and beyond just scheduling factors, that'll improve it a little bit, but as far as actually getting to a middle-of-the-pack defense or better, you need Fareed back to help the rebounding, and I think you need Shumpert. There's a reason why you targeted him at the trade deadline, and his absence, even though he's not played a lot since coming to Houston, combination of the injuries and the subpar shooting, at the same time, that's why the Rockets gave up a first-round pick to get him. They know that they need his skill set. He's just going to be healthy enough and shoot well enough to stay on the floor. To this point, that has not happened, and that's part of why the Rockets' defense is not where it needs to be. And by the way, for those that fixate, I feel like every game, you know, the Rockets had a 15-point lead early on the Hornets, and then Charlotte went on a 28-4 run on Wednesday. Early in the Miami game, they were up by 8, and then the Heat ended up, of course, leading by as many as 21 for the late comeback. Every night, I see fans, why are the Rockets giving up another big lead? Well, by and large, it's not that they get these leads and then they just stop playing hard. 
No, I think the effort, by and large, has been fine. Not perfect, but it's not like they just get these leads and think, oh, we got it made in the shade. No, they've seen a lot this year. It's not like that. No, it's that when you are a bottom five defensive team and you can't consistently get stops, whenever you go on a stretch or you go cold offensively, and if you shoot a lot of threes, that's going to happen at some point over 48 minutes, then the numbers are just going to snowball in a hurry because you can't stop anybody on the other end. So the good news, you can go on some big runs, as the Rockets did, overcoming 21 points, the deficit in the past, uh, the, the final 18 minutes or so of the game. But the other side of it is that you're going to have leads where when you go cold offensively and if you can't stop anybody, I don't think it's that the Rockets have a problem holding on to leads, at least from the standpoint of they need to just focus more. No, I think you just inherently give up those leads a lot more if, A, your offense is volatile because you shoot a lot of threes, which inherently means you may go through a stretch of three or four minutes where you're cold, and you combine it with a defensive spot in five in the league. I don't think it's an issue of focus. I think it's an issue of they just need to be a better defensive team, which is what we have known all season long. I hope they can do it. There's reasons that, you know, you get Fareed back, you get Shumpert back, you get the schedule spaced out a lot more. Like if you get a couple of off days before Sunday in Boston, then you have Tuesday in Toronto, Friday against the Sixers. So even those tougher opponents, you shouldn't be tired for the foreseeable future. So assuming health, assuming the schedule evens out, and certainly the playoffs it will, there are reasons to think it can get better. But ultimately, that's going to be the question. I don't think the Rockets have an issue with focus. I think they have the same issue we've known about all year. They're right now a bottom five, bottom ten defensive team by most metrics to win a title, no matter how great their offense is, they need to get it to at least the middle of the pack. Can they do that? Stay tuned. We'll see what happens in the weeks ahead, but at least for one night, this is where we'll leave it because we can live with the consolation, a very quality consolation, of a win, 121-118 over the Heat, which is the Rockets' fourth in a row, and puts them at a new high water mark of 12 games over 500 at 37 and 25. So that'll put a bow on this Thursday evening show. If you want more content before our next one, best place to get it is on Twitter. I'm on there at Ben DuBose. Show us on there at Lockton Rockets. Also, don't forget, though, our email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. Questions about the team, suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries. If we can help you in any way, be it as a Rockets fan or even as a human being, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. Mention the advertising inquiries. We've got some great introductory specials. So please reach out if we can really help your business in that capacity as well. But even if you can't advertise yourself, then just subscribe. Leave five-star reviews, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so on and so forth, based on the collective strength of our Lockdown Podcast Network. We've got widespread distribution. So if you would subscribe, leave five-star reviews, you'll get the benefit of episodes even before I post them to Twitter, and I'll get the benefit with your subscription and hopefully your positive review of looking attractive to other potential advertisers so that we can keep the business model rolling here at Lockdown Rockets as the only daily podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. Once again, the happy final from Toyota Center Thursday night. Rockets 121, Heat 118. Houston improves to 37-25, and 25, a season-best 12 games over 500. With that, enjoy the rest of your evening, and please come back soon for more episodes right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of Houston Rockets basketball. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.